Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Vanita Blackburn on the show. Works by Vanita have appeared in The New Yorker, Harper's, McSweeney's, Apogee, Split Lip Magazine, The Iowa Review, Diagram, Fog Lifter, Electric Literature, The Virginia Quarterly Review, The Paris Review, and many others. She was awarded the Bread Loaf Fellowship in 2014 and several Pushcart Prize nominations. She received the Prairie Schooner Book Prize for Fiction, which resulted in the publication of her collected stories, Black Jesus and Other Superheroes, in 2017. In 2018, she earned a place as a finalist in the Penn Bingham Award for Debut Fiction, finalist for the New York Public Library Young Lions Award, and a recipient of the Penn America Los Angeles Literary Prize in Fiction. Her new collection of stories, How to Wrestle Girl, is just out right now. She is the founder of and president of LiveWrite, LiveWriteWorkshop.com, an organization devoted to offering free creative writing workshops for communities of color. Her hometown is Compton, California, and she is an assistant professor of creative writing at California State University, Fresno. This was a great conversation, and unfortunately, timing didn't allow us to dig deeply into the topics like we usually do here. Uh, but I know you'll enjoy this conversation anyway with Vanita Blackburn, and Baker will take us there. Art music, show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. So, Vanita, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Fresno, actually, I'm learning some new places. So, um, I've been going to Limelight a lot and um heirloom is not too far from me and they feel like the exact same restaurants they might actually be owned and made by the same people which um would not surprise me but i'm really into <laughs> into wedge salads jordan oh why i don't know and also my one of my buddies was teasing me about it. it's like you can make this at home for however whatever why are you always getting the same thing over and over again i, I like it it's fine it's lovely but um yeah that was good. Cracked pepper is really good. It's a little pricey sort of for like special occasions and whatnot. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I, you can make anything at home. I mean, like you can really do anything at home. It's just a question of whether you want to do it at home or you want someone that does it regularly to do it for you. Or should you? I mean, we can do lots of things, but should we? Exactly. <laughs> and we do it well, all of those. Yeah. Like, you know, there definitely, I think there is a hierarchy of things. Like I want other people to cook for me. Um, like barbecue might be up on the list, uh, like really good Mexican food might be up on my list. Uh, but there's some things I can do it at home. I just, I, I think it just depends. Um, yeah. but I think you're right. I, there is, there is a vibe to a lot of these Fresno restaurants where it feels kind of similar. Like there's 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 one or two people designing the menus for everybody, uh, for sure. There's some overlap. There is indeed some overlap. But um, yeah, I'm getting used to a lot of places, and they're kind of becoming regular spots and things. I went to a Quail State recently, the rooftop uh, restaurant that was fun, and it was a kind of a um, random thing that I know I was trying to do for a while, and I said, oh, I'm in the neighborhood of Art Hop, so I managed to squeeze in there. So that was nice. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed their stuff. Let's um let's jump into I believe it's your first book, correct? Uh, Black Jesus and other superheroes, your collection. 
Um, so I really enjoyed that book. And the, 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 the story that jumped out to me most was Chew. Um, and when I was reading it, um, I kind of noticed what, or what stood out to me was this kind of lyrical rhythmic, rhythmic flow that kind of reminded me of like this Carl Phillips kind of like, I don't know what's going to happen in the next line. Um, so how do you think about writing uh, like that? Um, is it something that kind of you, your mind moves where it moves? Um, or is there a plan to, to writing like that? For me, I mean, I'm very much a voice writer. So I think about um, speech patterns and uh, the rhythms and cadences of sentences. It does have to sound good before I commit to it. And that's that's my sort of um, entry point. It's the thing that excites me about the story, about the characters, about the language, before I can even start thinking about uh, what, where have they been, where are they going, and that kind of thing. Which is the story. So, so that is that is that story. The story, the narrative, the structure comes later sometimes. Okay. Uh, then the voice is the thing that has to be interesting first for me. And you can get away with a lot if you really, you know, start practicing voice and thinking about that because people will just be drawn into it, and that's how sort of I am. And you can just talk about nothing for so long. <laughs> a lot of TV shows are like this, where it's just, you know, nothing really happening, but it's interesting because these people speak this way and they're in the, in the back and forth is this way. And you're kind of getting learning psychology about, about characters um, through, through their, their speech. And that's fun. So yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah. It, and so I, you know, I, I want to talk about, because I think what I was getting at too in that question is, is kind of the relationship to poetry and flash fiction. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us are obsessed in defining boundaries between genres and defining boundaries. And, you know, I was thinking about this, I was talking about music recently with someone um, and we were just talking about the kind of the bending boundaries between genres of music that, you know, I, I think that good, good music, um, still kind of works within a vocabulary of certain genres. So if I think about, you know, I listen to a lot of hip hop and if I think about, um, I'm forgetting their name right now, the guys from Buffalo uh, that just put out, what is their names? Um, any case, uh, they're always referencing back uh, kind of their predecessors and things that came from them. But at the same time, they're trying to push the boundaries. So can you just talk a little bit about, um, where you see kind of the lines. Um, and I specifically want to focus on flash fiction because it seems like something that is an interesting distinction to make. Um, and a lot of the flash fiction I read feels like kind of like prose poetry in some ways, like, you know, the, the lines between those things kind of get blurred for me. So can you talk about how you see it? That is very much true. I call it kind of the undefinable genre, especially for writers like me that sometimes can, can use a lot of sort of nonfiction material that's personal in the flash form. Um, and, then, and then sort of, you know, create these, these other sort of narrative structures around it. But it is very different. So I, I like to think of the flash fiction pieces, you know, compared to a traditional stories, pretty much the same as a poem compared to, <laughs> compared to a traditional story. They are very different and they are, and they exist their own way or like a short story compared to a novel. They do very different things. But they're all about humans. They're all about, you know, trying to understand this experience with the language that will that will somehow can capture, you know, capture specific kinds of things. So you don't have room to, to walk through sort of lush details and all that kind of stuff with, with flash fiction, but you can touch on extraordinary deep um, um, issues within flash fiction. 
And you can do more than one too. So it's, it just depends on, you know, your, your ambition. <laughs> and I really do love the flash fiction pieces that, that cross uh, civilizations, that do whole lifetimes, that do really, really big uh, temporal kinds of uh, scopes in a small space where you're leaping through time really, really quickly, but it's smooth. And if you, you're learning a whole kind of way of, of movement, the writer is teaching you super fast how to read, how to move through time. And then, and then you're, you're sort of, you know, bombarded with this feeling, this kind of truth about mm-hmm. us. And it's really powerful. So I'm really, I'm really deeply invested in that form. And also I'm, I'm one of the fiction writers that reads poetry. So we're not a lot, not a lot of us. And also I like good poetry. So I, I, I trust my poet friends, my experts. They're the ones that give me the recommendations and that's how I, I access um, the work. So for me, I don't seek out the poetry. I, I get what's given to me that comes to me naturally through my community and things like that. So, and I really value um, that approach to language where it's very specifically invested in smaller um, um, aspects of living that aren't necessarily connected in a narrative form because that's what I do already. So I know how to, I know how to do that, but I like to think about unusual sort of pieces of, of language and poets um, are great for that in terms of research and, <laughs> and development <laughs> for flash fiction writers. So who, who are some of your influences um, in the writing of short fiction? I know we spend a lot of time because I know George Saunders just came out with that book where he just looks at Russian. We spend a lot of time with white Russian men. And I feel like there is a whole world of short fiction uh, that needs to be explored in addition to that. So who, who would be some influences or starting points for people? Definitely go to the um, anthologies that exist. So there are, there are a bunch of flash fiction, uh, international, there's the, and they do a whole series, the Norton series. There's another one coming out in 2022. I, I do believe um, that is a, um, a new a new American kind of collection of flash fiction things and multi multi you know um, cultural authors and things like that. So it, so it's it's coming it's coming again. But do the uh, the anthologies also? Some of my favorites um, do flash novels like Justin Torres, We the Animals, um, uh, Jenny Awful, The uh, Weather. That's the latest one, and also the Department of Speculations. Those are really cool, sort of longer narratives, but still in the flash form where sort of the pieces themselves can exist and they contain these, these powerful little truths and, and they still move, you know, really smoothly mm. through, um, through the course of the narrative. And, and Justice Torres is just amazing. So you, you're getting all kinds of exper- uh, explorations of perspectives and point of view and that beautiful uh, first person plural uh, narration of this, of this of boyhood and the toxic masculinity and all these kind of things and discovering of the self and sexuality, all that in a very, very tiny, um, tiny book. So it's, um, so there's a lot out there to explore. I personally don't read all the Russian white male <laughs> writers in my spare time. I'm reading a lot of um, like graphic novels and, and comics and, and random things. I look for, I look for stories wherever they might be. Well, okay. We'll come back to graphic novels and stuff at the end when you give us some book recommendations. Cause I want to put a, put a pin in that one. Cause I want to talk about that. Um, uh, well, we're going to go to my favorite section, which is called underrated versus overrated. So I'm going to throw some topics out at you and you can tell me whether you think they're under or overrated. Um, the kind of the cop out is properly rated, which is used often when someone doesn't want to take a position, which I understand. Um, it's the easy way out. If there are some that you want to take that way out, no judgment. So first one, uh, naps over or underrated. 
Um, underrated. Love a nap. What's going on there? Are people missing out? They should not get. I, I think people are just so go go go. They think naps are just something that you know. These all these productivity hacks. You know, like we we just have to keep ourselves going. And people don't take naps. They just drink another cup of coffee. That's absurd. And also, work is a scam. You should. Everybody needs to calm down. And I've been telling this to other people. So I have I have three things that can lead to peace and happiness. Okay. And you're not going to agree with these. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be tough, Jordan. Okay. One. Okay. So you have to quit bacon, meaning you have to sort of eat less meat. So wherever okay. you are. So if you eat no meat, then you're you're already doing number one perfectly. Okay. Number two. Quit alcohol, weed, or any addiction that's affecting your brain. So that does include coffee. So that's a tough one. Yes. Number two, three, quit your job. Stop worrying for other people. Work for yourself. And and that will, all three will lead to peace. I have not done them at all, but I just know. (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple of them. I'm I'm with you on the first one. And I've been, I was a vegan for a long time, but married a carnivore. um, And I've kind of adjusted my life. Uh, but the second two would be hard for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, next one. Uh, end of the year book lists, over or underrated? Overrated. What's going on there? Why does that keep happening? It's, it's just, you know, and there and there's so many, and it's very arbitrary. And why at the end of the year, these periodic sort of cycling through of things, like just read people, let's have an, an ongoing thing. I literally have a hundred book list of Things I'm working through constantly. It's always changing, knocking things off, putting them back on, seeing where I am, wondering. And also, I've got giant boxes of books I've bought. I am not allowed to buy any more books, Jordan. This is this is my new 2021 thing. I cannot buy another book for the rest of the year. So that that list done. <laughs> yeah, and it seems arbitrary too. And they give them so much weight in people's minds if it was on a list, and it's so frustrating because it really limits uh, a, a circle that should be bigger. Um, I think right. some people don't have exposure, so it does help a little bit. When you have yeah. Those, you so a, a starting point, if you will. Yeah. All right. Next one. Uh, McSweeney's over or underrated? Oh, you know, I think at one point it was underrated right now. I don't hear people talk about McSweeney's as much. It used to be a dream publication for me. Then I got in it. Then I was like, okay, that's it. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> And also I was, I was asked, you know, it's weird too. When I, when you get to a certain point, people solicit from you, you don't submit anymore. I never, never thought that would would be how it is, but it, that, that, that sort of, you know, unspoken, unseen kind of world that will eventually kind of, you know, come people as they keep writing and living and, and sort of being in the industry for longer. So maybe I would say, depending on where you are in time, underrated where you are you know maybe later overrated somewhere like that yeah um next one uh working at disneyland over or underrated overrated i worked at disneyland did you know this yes yes overrated i worked at the california disney side primarily but i got to sort of bounce around and it's really uncomfortable to get to see the all the all the you know shine wiped away and the, mm. the inner workings, the innards of the park. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine. <laughs> yes. All right. Next one's not an over underrated, but I slid it in here because it made sense. Um, it's a yes or no question. Should we get rid of grades? 
like at school grades or yeah. like for like in school in school restaurants <laughs> no 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 not that definitely not that in school should we move to a a world where grades are de-emphasized i mean that's how i teach you know off off the record um, and I tell my students too that I know this is the currency of your your life right now. That this is how you get paid for your efforts and these grades. But to me, they don't matter as much as the process, as what you are learning. So that is why we're here, especially as writers. Like this is an art. This is subjective. This is something that you that you get skills periodically and then you take them on for for decades and a lifetime. So how am I supposed to score you on a story? That's outrageous. But I sure will grade you down if you keep missing classes. So there, there are consequences. For, Absolutely. For yeah. We are a great obsessed culture. And like, I mean, for one, like, like wine, for example, like we give it, we give it a point percentage out of a hundred. And, you know, for me, uh, a wine that you like might not be my style. And it's, it's, it's weird. And it, it, I, I think it's a, it's a grasp towards objectivity, which just is never going to be there. Um, all right. Next one. Uh, developing daily writing habits over or underrated? I think underrated, actually. I think routine and some kind of personal discipline. And we said development is the key word there because it's not, you know, I can't prescribe it. So sort of doing what someone else does, you know, and trying to you know, think it's going to work for you. No, but figuring out yourself, self-discovery as an author, critical and sort of holding yourself accountable, critical. And I'm talking about productivity and that kind of thing. That's where it comes from. So it's not like you're not allowed to take a nap, but you're also, you know, it, you need to actually put some words on the page. So you, at some point in your day, in order to, you know, claim this, this occupation, this lifestyle that you might think of, like, are you a writer? You need to write. But also living is writing. So I count that as research as well. So it's all part of the thing. But, but yeah, definitely developing what works for you in order to get words on the page, figure it out. Yeah. Treat it like a trade. Um, the game Animal Crossing, over or underrated? Overrated now. Are people still playing this? Like, what part of what stage in the pandemic <laughs> are they even in? <laughs> I don't know. Are people still playing it? What for you? Uh, what was your relationship to that game? It was early pandemic joy. Like, take me away. Let me live in this little little you know island thing with this pleasant music and these weird little animals. And then it got emotional. Like, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> I would get jealous of what like why is like why is my rabbit in the in the house of this other you know creature? This is my favorite character. Why are they hanging out together? What's going on? So it became this whole um, just you know uh, emotional roller coaster. As I said, I'm a little bit too invested right now because I have assigned emotional um, um, categories to and relationships to these these little little fake animal creatures. So I want to have to take a big step back. <laughs> But other than that, it served its purpose at, at the right time. So I would say appropriate. But if you're still playing it, I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, and I, I missed it. So I had two friends that were obsessed and I came to it really late and they were basically done by the time I arrived. And I was just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> if there's no, if there's no community, which just goes to show how important the community aspect is to video games. Um, it is a social thing. So that's what actually makes it work. So it's not so much, you know, you're just losing your mind, you know, but, um, but you're trying to connect. All right. Last one. Totally random. Uh, the department store Mervyn's over or underrated. Poor Mervyn's. Poor Mervyn's. I, I feel like I worked there. I know I worked at Target. 
they had same, they had very similar color scheme for, for how you were. <laughs> you were allowed to present yourself. But um, no, Mervyn's was fine. I didn't shop there much, but it was very much part of like a like a visual aesthetic of my childhood and things like that. So, me too. Me too. It's something that like I think about in going going to Mervyn's with my mother to shop for clothes at the beginning of the school year, and just kind of hating it, but also just like knowing it's like kind of being like dragged to church or something where it's just kind of a ritual almost. Yeah, totally. Mine was JC Penney's. That was my mom's favorite store. So it was kind of thing. But yeah, and that ritual, I loved it actually. I didn't like, you know, shopping or whatever, but it was very comfortable. It reminds me of like the start of the season in fall and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And those were a good time. Absolutely. Well, let's transition to talking now about your new book, uh, How to Wrestle a Girl. Um, and so this is another collection of stories. Um, so can you talk to a little bit about, uh, are there, I haven't gotten to read it yet, because uh, it just came out two days ago? Yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday. Um, but can you share a little bit about the thought behind the collection and if there's certain themes or, or kind of, uh, you know, goals you had with the collection or ideas uh, that kind of structured it? So the, the initial goal was to write a novel in flash, like I've been talking about. So it's been really, I'm really invested in, in that form of sort of combining the long narrative with the smaller narrative. But it spiraled out of control as I kept sort of going, you know, writing stories because other ideas would come to me that were connected to a kind of a theme. So I would say, oh, I have to stop and just go and do this, you know, 3,000 word story and just get it down, get it out and um, deal with that later and then go back to the, the, the original intention with the novel. And I kept doing that. And then some, you know, some days I would just write a flash fiction sort of story just out of, you know, out of nowhere about a different kind of uh, character, even though I'm trying to focus on the characters that I'm, I'm working with. And they are carryover um, people from Black Jesus and other superheroes. So there are, you know, a few stories there that I knew I wanted to do more with, um, but I just didn't have the space for. So I wanted to sort of commit a whole larger thing to them. And then just all of this, all of this sort of you know, magic kept happening with with other with other characters and other worlds and things like that. So I ended up with this this bunch of stories, a lot that's you know all all the same world, and then some that are not, and some are big, and some are super small, and some look like you know quizzes, and some look like you know, you know charts. So there are a lot of different structures and forms that that happened as I was working through um, the text. But I said, I'm going to try to arrange this in a way that makes um, some kind of order to this. And so I put all my collected parts into uh, the second half of the book. And then I kind of mirrored the, the stories with the other ones in the first half. So there is kind of a feeling I was trying to create like anchors within the, and mirrors within the first half and the second half to sort of create this world about, um, that sort of touches on all of these, these complex issues with girlhood, like body image and athleticism and, and um, unusual body types and sexualities and how they interact with each other because there are no models for this uh, really in uh, mainstream kind of you know media. And that mainstream media type thing started to filter into the structures of the stories as well. So um, I had all that happening. So you can, when, you, when you take a look at it, you'll see like, yeah, you're made, it'll all work out. But it, there was no divine kind of um, 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 structure from the beginning that made it all the way to the end. It kept changing, it kept sort of re-reevaluating itself. And up until I got something that was neat and kind of could sigh and rest. <laughs> and say, yeah. yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing to, uh, you know, I, I was having 
a similar conversation about uh, Anthony Cody's book, um, Borderland Apocrypha. And when you kind of approach these texts that are uh, do interesting things with structure and uh, types of media or whatever, um, the reader just has a very different experience um, when they approach that um, because you know, uh, in school, we just we're given pretty straightforward text to read, and we teach them to read to a certain kind of text. Um, so what 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 do you hope the reader experiences when they read this, um, given your kind of, you know, innovative approach to, to structure and uh, how you include things? I really want them to, to feel something, you know, in this, in a familiar, in a familiar kind of, um, uh, layout or design that would usually would not evoke any kind of emotion. So I think if anything, that would be the, the only magic I could uh, dream of happening for a reader where, you know, they're looking at something that just seems, you know, innocuous, like a, a crossword puzzle. You don't really get emotionally charged from a crossword puzzle, but maybe here in the way that I've done it, they can recognize some sort of depth of humanity within that. And that would be um, a really good uh, experience. But in the larger sense, like there are traditional stories in there too. So there's, there's, there's room for that to sort of walk through um, even more familiar patterns to sort of find a more unusual character. So, so that was my kind of goal in there, take an unusual form, put, um, put some emotion into it, take a more traditional form and give you something unusual in it and that kind of thing. Awesome. Well, let's close with book recommendations. Um, I remember graphic novels or... Uh, I'm not sure what you said. Maybe you said comics, but um, maybe maybe just a few traditional books, and then maybe uh, maybe some graphic novels or comics to close. All right, I love. So my main uh, like inspirations are always I always bring up um, James Baldwin, Toni Morrison. They were those sort of huge kind of um, forces in terms of just the lushness and the and the beauty of language and um, environments that were familiar to me and kind of concepts that were familiar to me about sort of urban living and, and race in America and all these kind of challenging concepts. But I'm also a lover of cartoons and absurdity and surrealness. And I grew up, you know, watching Sailor Moon and, <laughs> and, um, and like, you know, Care Bears and just being like, I want something happy and light and like a bunch of, a bunch of people just sort of, you know, trying to, trying to save the world, even though I haven't personally decided if we should even do that. But I like the, I <laughs> but I like the idea that yes, some will maybe take that, take that leap. And just and just have fun together in the community. So there's some kind of com combination of that in my aesthetic. So I read a lot of um, comics. Monstrous is one that I really like. It's uh, Marjorie Liu and um, Sana Takeda, I think. And that is a really kind of exotic, beautiful, pan-Asian kind of futuristic dystopia matriarchy type uh, violent, sexy kind of comic. So there's that one. There's a novella called How to Lose the Time War. I don't know if you know about this one. Mm -mm. And it's just gorgeous to me. And it's really, um, it'll, it'll be kind of a hit or miss with people. I call it a hit, miss, hit, hit <laughs> for, for people that read it because some people will describe it as kind of difficult because the, it opens up very kind of in a poetic sort of world and it's very much not where we are. So you have to sort of get used to that. But once you do, like you're in it and it's, and it's, and it's a fun ride. It's back and forth exchange to the way it's written. And it's written by two different authors too. And you kind of feel the, the, the combination of minds that work. So that one is um, really, really cool right now. I think 
Oh, Paper Girls is another series that I'm into. It's written by the guy that did Saga. I don't know if you know these. <laughs> it's kind of whatever. Yeah. But yeah, those are fun. Um, but yeah, that's where I am right now. Yeah. So if you if someone hasn't read either, which there are people, haven't read Toni Morrison or James Baldwin, uh, pick pick a book for each of them that they should start with. Oh, goodness. For Toni Morrison, Bluest Eyes, a good one. Sula, I think I would pick over any of them. Um, James Baldwin, uh, Giovanni's Room. Uh, the essays are actually really compelling. So if you want to just enter, and it's also like entering the mind of the nation at a particular time that is so, so familiar still now. And it's just, it's incredible. And also James Baldwin, just the, the skill with articulating um, sort of the psychosis of racism, extraordinary. So um, definitely, definitely kind of invest in the, in the essays. Awesome. So um, where can people find uh, your work um, online? And can you share what you're uh, planning to do next? Obviously, you just finished this book, you're putting the book out in the world, but uh, we always have horizons. So if you want to share what's, uh, what's your next plans? So I've got some events happening in October, and I know there's um, one up in um, the Green Apple Bookstore in, in San Francisco. It's going to happen in November. But if you want to see all of my updates, uh, Benita Blackburn and on Twitter, at Benita Blackburn, that's the best place where I keep updating all my events and things like that. You can go to my website. It's kind of goofy, and I don't <laughs> get a little more. But um, but yeah, and I'm working on two projects right now. So two novels simultaneously. And I can't tell you about the second one, but the first one is contracted. So that should come out maybe 2023 and get it all, you know, done, done up like we sh- should in 2022. But that one is coming um, soon. And my whole phrase is, if it's not lesbians in space, I don't have the time. So that's kind of my, <laughs> my aesthetic right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for talking with me. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. We'll see you next time.